0: Hey, good evening, everybody. Welcome to ClickBank. Thanks for joining me. I am sorry for the week off, but here we are. We're back with a jam-packed show. We have some interesting stuff, some vaping stuff for a change to talk about. Our first, our first two topics will be vaping. The first is about boutique wire, premium wire, which is yeah. I always suspected was bullshit, but now we have proof. And uh, my friend Jeremy is going to come on and go over a bunch of actual scientific testing he and a friend of his has done on various boutique wires and proving that exactly what they are, which is just normal stuff that's, you know, marked up triple or quadruple or God knows how many times more the price. So that's good. I mean, I want to get this information out there because I hate to see vapors getting ripped off with the uh, snake oil. After that, we're going to talk about the grandfather date push. You know, the right now, the uh, as things stand, if this doesn't pass, uh, many vapor products will be, regulated out of the market simply by the date in which they were, well, we're, we're going to go into it, but basically they're trying to push the grandfather date up until basically now up from 2007 where there wasn't much except, you know, RN4082s and sigalikes and stuff like that. So uh, Ed Wolf from uh, the Vape Week, uh, which is every Friday on uh, VP Live, every Friday night on VP Live. He'll be coming on to talk to me about that. That's it for the vaping topics. After that, we're going to talk about Conor McGregor's so-called retirement, Brie Olson's so-called retirement, my new super fancy crockpot, and the Snooker World Championships. Well-rounded show for you this evening, folks. Let's get it started. So, let's get started. Let's talk about all this boutique premium wire nonsense. Jeremy, is that you?
1: Uh, yes, it is.
0: All right. How, how are you, sir? Thanks for coming on the air, and thanks for contacting me about this, by the way. Jeremy sent me a message, uh, must have been like two or three weeks, you know, about three weeks ago. And, you know, he said what I had long suspected, that all these boutique wires that everyone's selling for doing rebuildable atomizers are really just regular wire that you can get for a fraction of the price um what made you decide to say well i'm going to look into this and i'm going to start doing some testing on this stuff what was the impetus
1: well i was in uh denver colorado on a job Uh, a little bit of background i'm involved in non-destructive testing um i have certifications in ultrasonic testing positive material identification Uh, magnetic particle and liquid penetrant inspections and I'm furthering my studies into phased array uh, ultrasonic and uh, shear wave ultrasonic and what these methods allow us to do is use scientifically tested principles to look inside a material. Mainly what we look for is uh, cracks or inclusions of uh, slag or tungsten in industrial welds, basically to to prove that a weld is structurally sound and that it's not going to fail under service. Um, We had uh, a couple of explosions in refineries lately. And refineries around the nation are stepping up their inspection schedules I, I just got back off this 30day hitch from Denver and uh, Houston is recovering from the flood <laughs> It wasn't too bad we expected you know we, we go through this every year but yeah, I heard about that you know while I was up there while I was up there um, I you know I bought nothing but uh, I used Canthol when I first started vaping about three years ago and uh, after Canthol, you know I resisted nichrome for the longest time because I thought you know it was I thought it was just a bunch of hooey So, finally, I I finally tried Nichrome 80, and uh, Nichrome 60 was what I tried first, and I got, like, a taste of hot dimes in my mouth. So, that led me to try Nichrome 80, and I fell in love with it. Um, The resistance is just fine. I can build, you know, massive surface area and the larger deck atomizers that I have. Um, You know, my wattage devices allow me to step up the wattage, so it kind of makes up for the fact that... uh, you know, I'm not really using a mechanical device anymore, but I was starting to run out of 80, and all I really order from is lightning vapes, you know, and I order by the hundred foot, 200 foot spool from eBay most of the time. And it takes three or four days, but I noticed while I was up there, I only brought the one spool with me and I was getting low on wire. So I went over to, uh, uh, another vapor shop up there that, uh, a buddy of mine that he owns it and, you know, he's, he's pretty big in the scene. And he suggests, he's like, man, why don't you try this Mad Rabbit? And I'm like, you know, I don't f- really feel comfortable paying for boutique wire. And he's like, you know, this is about the lowest you're going to pay for, you know, for vape wire. you're
0: And sorry to interrupt you, but just, you know, probably not so much for the audience's education, but more for mine because I'm just so out of the loop on this stuff. What is the price mm-hmm. difference? What's the price difference between like a, a Canthal wire and a an nichrome wire versus something like a mad rabbit or some sort of premium wire?
1: Um, let's see. Let me look real quick. Um, what I was normally paying for uh canthal, I was paying like $5 for a spool that's, you know, 50 to a hundred feet. And uh Nichrome 80 is actually pretty comparable to that. Um, on the, the lightning vapes website, which I mean, I, again, I ordered through eBay. I mean, they, they, they resell their wire on eBay, you know, for probably a little bit cheaper than what the website does. But uh, Nicrome 80, I don't know, man. I, I pay maybe, I don't know, maybe a dollar more for a spool of 100 feet. Mm-hmm. It's really, really minuscule price differential. Um, and that's for like 100 feet of wire. Now, the Mad Rabbit comes, you know, it's like 15 15 feet of wire. I mean, I haven't ever just unspooled it and looked at it uh, and measured it, but, uh, you know, it's it's like 15 feet of wire, and it was about 20, 20 23 with change, you know, with, with taxes and everything. Dollars? Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so
0: yeah, it's like, a, it's like a 23, a, 23 It's a change. ridiculous, it's a huge price difference. It's enormous.
1: Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's it's a massive price differential, um, you know. And I got to looking into this, and I'm like, you know, this wire. When I bought the pack of it, and I, I wrapped up some coils, I threw it on my, uh, I threw it on my RDA, and uh, I threw it on the RX200, and I flashed them up, wicked them, and i was like, man, this this actually vapes pretty quick. I mean, it's 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 pretty nice. It's a nice consistent vape. I like the flavor put out of it. Um, it uh, it doesn't use all that much more battery uh i haven't noticed a power differential in the device that i use it on Um, so it doesn't really drain the battery any faster i guess is what i'm saying and uh it it felt like it ramped up faster it felt like it was uh you know a little bit lower resistance so i thought okay well this is 20 gauge wire that's usually what i use Um, i can get a good 12 wraps to each coil uh, with a set of dual coils wrapped on a four millimeter bar, or sometimes I've even been known to go up to like seven thirty seconds for, you know, some of the macro builds. And I really like the wire. And I'm like, and I asked the guy, I said, man, what kind of wire is this? He's like, I don't know. Like, what do you mean? You don't know. He's like, I don't know. So I searched around and I found some people and, uh, they said, you know, we're, we're kind of aligned with mad rabbit. I said, well, well, what is it? And the guy's like, eh, you know, I, I can't really tell you what it is. I'm not at liberty to say because, you know, I'm not – I don't have that permission from the company. He said, but I will tell you this. It's, There's nothing wrong with it. It's a good wire. I said, well, i tell you what. I have access to positive material identifications equipment at work because of this job that I'm on right now. I'm out here doing a lot of PMIs. I said, man, I'll tell you exactly what it is in, within five seconds. He's like, how are you going to do that? What do you got, an electron microscope? I'm like, no. <laughs> this this thing uses x-rays, and every element on the periodic table fluoresces differently in a different spectrum when exposed to x-ray radiation. So they have come out with this piece of equipment called a PMI gun, and it aims a highly focused, very high-frequency uh burst of electron uh of uh yeah it's electromagnetic but uh it's x-ray radiation not gamma radiation but like the same x-rays you would get in a doctor's office or a dentist's office
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and the longer that you hold the trigger down and emit x-rays at the material that you're trying to identify the better the feedback that the sensor gets on the reflection so sitting here looking at the tables that I've got up in front of me for the two different uh for the two different analysis um I work for probably in the top five inspection companies in the world I work for probably the third largest this other gentleman that works for the other company that I asked to do this he works for probably the fifth um and in those forms that I sent you, I had to white out all the company you know, logos and the letterheads. They're on my copy sitting here in front of me, but um, sitting here and looking at the analysis from Jesus and mine, you can see that these wires are virtually identical, down to the thousandth of a percent in the elements that they contain.
0: And and I have this um, uh, the, the information or or the data that you collected, I have all those screenshots mm-hmm. and, and and everything that you sent me and the and the testing that Jesus sent me. We'll go through that and everything. But I'm just curious. I'm looking at this uh, this thing. You got this handheld thing that emits this X-ray radiation. How much would that mm-hmm. How much would that piece of equipment cost if one were to buy it?
1: Um, uh, was it thermal scientific sells those for brand new sells them for about
0: 36,000 okay well it's it's quite we're quite lucky that we have you and and him you know with that kind of because you know that's just out of the realm of you know equipment that people would normal people would be able to access I'm you know i'm sure you can rent that kind of stuff too but that's not going to be cheap either so okay yeah. so this is this is big yeah. this is a big boy big boy testing product you're using here
1: yeah it is and you have to be certified you have to go through classes you have to take uh state radiation uh i when you get the certification to be a pmi analyst you are pretty much an x-ray technician you're on the lower end of it because it's industrial and i'm not working with gamma radiation um i actually have a state card from uh texas state and uh from the nrc the nuclear regulatory commission um you know we have specific guidelines that we have to go through and there's some pretty intense training that goes with it um you have to be able to calculate how much distance from the source uh the little radioactive pill that comes out of the camera i mean but i digress um let's see
0: so you got you, you got you got your hands on a bunch of wire you've got this uh, extremely fancy expensive uh testing equipment i i, I well, you know you know how to be safe with it, but I know the things that's jutting out X-rays. Mm-hmm. I, I hope you're not, you know, hitting your balls with this thing. But um, yeah, so, <laughs> so I see I see this table that you put together. Now the so we're gonna go through that, and we'll also go through uh, what Jesus uh, Martinez is that his name? Jesus Martinez? Yeah. Hey, now, now what? Now what?
1: Uh, he laughs at it because I call it Jesus too.
0: Yeah. Well, I like Jesus. So, um, uh, what's the difference between the testing that you did versus the testing that he did?
1: Um, The equipment that we used is identical. Um, It's made by the same company. It's calibrated in the same way. The only difference is the geographical location of his equipment and the state that he was in and the state that I was in. Okay, so it's it's, it's basically just
0: like a a replication test.
1: Yes, it is. And, it was and, just to verify that my readings were accurate.
0: Okay, good. No, that's great. That's perfect. That's re- replication is part of the scientific process. So, excellent. And I, I suspect, uh, I, I'm, I am really not qualified to read these numbers, but I, I suspect everything was perfectly replicated?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, the company that he works for has a procedure, while it may differ in their base requirements, um, from the company that I work for, both of our companies—they both follow to ASME, uh, the American Scientific Materials. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, the, the the government basis for what we do all follows under ASME or ASTM.
0: Okay, so got two people testing the same product in two different places with the same equipment with slightly different testing procedures, but everything is more or less verified. So that's good. Do you want to talk a little bit about some of the results that you found?
1: Sure. Um, With the wire that I tested first was the Mad Rabbit because I was just curious about what it was. And when the instrument popped back with 316, I was a little shocked. I thought, wow, this is... This is 316? What's 316? You're kidding me. Uh, 316 is just a grade of stainless steel that has a lower uh, carbon content to it. Um, With the other stuff that's in it, like uh, the difference between stainless steel and, you know, regular ferrous steel. uh, I mean, they're both ferrous, but regular steel is the lack of chromium in your standard steels, like carbon steel. Carbon steel doesn't have chromium in it, doesn't have uh, nickel, doesn't have the uh, manganese in it. And really, these are just anti-corrosive agents that are added to the wire to give it its stainless properties. And where people are under the misconception that stainless steel doesn't rust. Well, it does. But chromium and, you know, nickel, when you add them to the process in, you know, the smelting process and then you roll out all your wire... Um, the chromium and the nickel it, are rust inhibitors so they slow down the process but chromium actually oxidizes you, like you can't see it it's, uh, it's not noticeable to the naked eye it's almost a translucent powder um, of the oxides that it produces and it's very 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 slowly produced so whereas you might go out to your car where you've got chrome on it and it's not as shiny as it was you know the day that you polished it that's your corrosion that's your uh that's your reaction to the oxygen and the different uh alkaline properties in the air and the raindrops and you know just the humidity in the air um and and that's why they add that to it is because it, it it's not visible mm-hmm. um it's it stops the damaging corrosion that happens when you know when steel oxidizes. So when I saw that it was stainless steel, I thought, "Wow, that's that's pretty common stuff." Um, so I went to this is the, this is uh, uh, one of the companies.
0: It's most commonly used for welding, right? Welding wire.
1: Yes, it is. It's three sixteen is one of the most popular types of steel the stainless steel wire that's used in the industrial sector for stainless steel piping and when you when we, um, when
0: we started with this conversation you mentioned that you were able to get uh, canthol and nichrome um, for around five dollars for a hundred foot is is the stainless steel welding wire mm-hmm. comparably priced
1: uh, I tell you what 316 304 they are dirt cheap like you can get those uh, for Two cents a foot. Wow. On average. When it's sold in, uh, let's see, Radnor and uh, a couple of the other, you know, Hobart and a couple of the other welding companies that, you know, and all Radnor and and Hobart do, they don't produce the wire. They buy it by, you know, the thousand foot spools or they buy it by the million foot spools, big, massive spools, and then unspool it and put it on smaller spools for, you know, welding machines.
0: Right. So a regular consumer can get, if they wanted a hundred foot, they can get a hundred foot of it. They don't need to like buy 5,000 feet or anything, right?
1: Um, yeah, it would probably be easier to buy um, like a 500 foot spool. But even for a five hundred foot spool, you're only talking about paying maybe 30 dollars for it. Mm-hmm.
0: So, so okay. So the first thing you looked at, like you said, was the Mad Rabbit, which I'm assuming is mm-hmm. is, is that in the same you know twenty dollars for fifteen foot uh, foot retail price?
1: Um, I think I actually paid. Uh, I think I paid fourteen for it.
0: Fourteen for about fifteen, and I feet.
1: think it had. Yeah, fourteen for about fifteen feet.
0: So we're talking about uh, a buck a foot versus two cents a foot. Pretty much. It's a th- th- just an a, an astronomical markup that I don't think exists in many other industries, besides ones with a, no such a soft market like uh, like we have here with vaping. So okay, I mean it's it, I'm not even going to do the math. It's 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 an, it's insanity. It, it's and we're talking so the mad rabbit you tested came up what What is it called? 316 stainless steel welding wire or is it 316L stainless steel welding wire?
1: Um, in this particular, um, I'm looking at the results again right in front of me and the iron content from Jesus comes up with 68% and my iron content came up with 67.38. Enough, his, yeah. To be specific, his was 68.06 mm-hmm. and mine was 67.38. So, what I would have to say in this is that it's most likely just standard three sixteen. Well, and the it's other well, the other the park. other
0: thing is it's it's so close. You know, Mad Rabbit might just be buying yeah. whatever they can get at the at the time for you know. I'm just speculating, but maybe one day they're they're buying three sixteen. Maybe one day they're buying three sixteen L. But the, nobody's gonna notice the difference in vaping. I mean, that's the, it's too small to notice
1: exactly and jesus's analysis came back and he judged it to be 316l so i i trust him
0: Mm -hmm. okay so that's the mad Um, rabbit that that came back as 316l uh then you then you went out you bought a bunch more you want to just go down the list and then say what everything was
1: yeah so i I went and i bought a spool i bought a little baggie of the hot wires a baggie of uh, the g plat elite the blue label wire the G-Plat Standard with the red flames on the bag, a bag of Royal, and a bag of Anarchist. Now, Omboy OC has said that his Anarchist wire, that he does special things to it, that it's not just standard Nichrome 80. Now, he marks the bags as Nichrome 80, but I've heard him and I, I've, I've had a lot of people tell me, oh, well, you know, Omboy oh OC, oh he says that, you know, he, he anneals his wire and he does this and he does that, and that it's extremely low uh, in, in its carbon content. And when I looked at it, I said, well, okay, well, let's, let's put it to the test. You know, let's, let's let the gun decide what it is. Mm-hmm. So I put it up against the Lightning Vapes Nichrome 80, and they're very, very similar. Very, very similar. Let me scroll down and find the photos that I have of that particular test that day.
0: Let me and I'm I'm just gonna post this uh, all your results for everyone in the chat and this will be in the replay notes too. I have a photo album of everything Absolutely. that said. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, the Nichrome eighty from Lightning Vapes uh comes back with a minute trace of titanium. It uh, comes back about 20% chromium, uh, about 0.345 manganese, but 0.840 in the iron content. It comes back at 76.44% nickel.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, Omboy OC's wire, the, ni- the anarchist, mm-hmm. comes back at 78.05% nickel. So there's only 2%, 2% mm-hmm. difference. Uh, while the iron content for both is almost identical with anarchist being at point eight three two, and the lightning vapes being eight four zero.
0: So what, what, I mean, it, it's a difference, but it's, I, I doubt it's a difference that you could notice in a vape. I don't think anyone's going to pass that peppy no. challenge, but what, what would, what would, could, or why someone be doing to a wire to account for that small 2% difference in, in your opinion? Um,
1: uh, Different smelting processes that day. Yeah, but, uh, um, but, if uh, but but that's but that's not.
0: Oh, okay, okay. But it, that's not something that anyone who's not a manufacturer no. would have access to. That's just you know you, you, exactly you, right. One day it comes off the line like this, and one day off that. And this is generally for industrial use, so that that kind of small difference doesn't really matter. I I, I would guess.
1: Yeah. No, and the the differences in you know the length of wire. Like I did multiple tests on different coil wraps of the wire. Uh, so basically what I did was I had to have enough material for the gun to be able to register. So I just left it in the coiled spool or the, the loop of wire that it comes in where it's, you know, 15 or 20 wraps around somebody's hand and then they twist the ends and they stuff it in a bag. I pulled the edge of it out of the bag and I tested right up against the coil surface with about 10 or 12 strands there. Um, and what I noticed was, I popped the trigger at one spot on the the coil surface, and it pops back as, like say, .832 iron. If I cock the gun at a slightly different angle, it comes up with just a little bit different. But these are thousands and hundreds of a percent difference. It would basically be the equivalent of. Uh, getting up on the you know a a tall skyscraper on one side of your city of uh, you know like say in manhattan and you look out on your balcony and you look across the city with your telescope and through the lens of your telescope you recognize wow that's new york but if you turn it two degrees to the right you see a different landscape but you still identify it as new york right it's not any different i mean it's still the same chemical content um the thousandths and the hundredths of a percent difference, it's not any difference that anybody would be able to, to notice. So, And if they told you they were able to notice it, I'd tell you they were high.
0: <laughs> well, that might be the case. Who knows what people are using this stuff for. But in, in your estimation, is there anything being done? Do you Just your opinion, obviously, but a, a very educated opinion. Is anarchists doing, is there, are they actually doing anything to the wire? Are they physically altering or changing the wire in any way any different than Nichrome 80? No. Okay. Um, All right, so that's uh, Mad Rabbit and Anarchist. Um, What else did you test?
1: Um, I tested Hotwires by Chadster, Mm -hmm. and the Hotwires, I tested, by the way, I tested everything in 24-gauge, except for the Mad Rabbit because I bought 20-gauge. But the 24-gauge size was what, yosh had in his shop that was the most consistent size that he had everything in so i just bought 24 gauge and everything Mm -hmm. and i asked jesus to buy the same gauges of wire in his city he was in north carolina at the particular time i'm not sure exactly what vape shop he went to but you know he picked up the identical sets of wire in different baggies shipped at different times shipped to two different states and The hot wires in the 24 gauge, when I tested it, it was one that I was unfamiliar with. It came back as HW6015, which is heating wire 6015. It's commonly found in hair dryers, uh, clothing dryers, uh, heaters, space heaters. It's about the closest thing that you can get to Canthal without being Canthal. It's a nichrome 60. it's got you know 23.6 percent iron, and it's got the the standard amount of chromium in it for uh, you know almost being stainless steel uh, at 16.62 percent. But the fact that the nickel is so high and the iron content is so high tells me that it's not exactly nickel. It's it's not a nichrome wire. It's almost a hybrid between. Nichrome sixty and a canthal without the aluminum.
0: So is this? But it's is this it's still
1: a very common wire?
0: Is, okay, so this is some just like everything else, something that everyone would have access to if they wanted to to buy it. You know, for you know, you know, pennies a foot or whatever.
1: Exactly. If you knew where what website to go to, or if you knew what web search to enter into whatever search engine you use, you could find hundred foot spools of this all day long for dirt cheap.
0: Gotcha. So, um, going down the list, uh, what's next? It looks like om- almost everything else uh, is just about the same from here on in, right?
1: Yeah, pretty much. Let's see. G-Plat Elite. G-Plat Elite comes back 316 stainless. Same as
0: same as point 95- Same as the yeah. uh, same as the Mad same, Rabbit.
1: Yes, it's got a little bit more nickel than the Mad Rabbit um and a little bit slightly less iron but again that 3% you're not going to notice it you're, there's nobody that's going to be able to tell you the difference between
0: the And two. and uh, and if you bought this you know a month from now you might get you know d- different you know Yeah, sway- I got to I got to think that there's some accept- uh, accepted uh, tolerance in manufacturing where people who are buying this oh, stuff absolutely. for industrial use it's going to vary by probably 2 or 3% every you know every batch that they make right
1: Absolutely. So it's, it's tolerances not, for industrial use are, you know, they're they're specific, and they are tight tolerances. But they might only waver two percent, plus or minus two percent. Might be, you know, any particular company's, you know, uh, their margin for how much or how little.
0: And that would be, and that that kind of margin of error, margin for error, could uh, is just could be uh, the the reason for the different, slightly different results you're getting from these two companies.
1: Exactly. I mean, you could, when, when the original company that smelted the wire and rolled it out and formed it, when they were melting down their stock metal in the beginning, they might've had, you know, a couple of extra pounds of, of nickel in the bottom of a, of of the bottom of a barrel or in the bottom of a hopper. And they said, you know what, it's really not worth taking it and throwing it back and waiting for another batch, just tossing it and it's not going to hurt nothing. And when they tested the wire, when it came out, it was, you know, it passed their own quality control checks. And, you know, it, it got a rider slapped on it onto a pallet, went out to another company. They positive material identified it. When it came in, it passed their quality control. So it's, it's passed multiple different QC points, company to company, before it even gets to the welding company, you know, the construction company at the end of the line that's going to use it for welding
0: so going down the rest of the list we've got uh so the 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 blue is the elite g-plat then you got the regular red G plat that is a little bit different that's a different stainless steel welding wire but still the the 304 stainless steel welding wire just you know normal stuff
1: yeah three it, it came back as 304 the exact same as royal um you yep. know, and Royal and g platt have been in competition with one another for quite a while. You know, they they hype all this at their meets. They sponsor vapors. They're like, tell people, you know, hey, look, try this. It's going to be better. It's going to be, you know, it's it's this. We do this to it. It's a special grade of this. But they don't exactly tell them what it is. You yep. know, even the guys that are sponsored from these, you know, these wire companies, they have no clue as what they're vaping on. No and 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 really and, and, one of the- and and the price the
0: price difference just it's astronomical it's the difference between just going out and buying some 304 or 316 stainless steel welding wire for like two cents a foot versus buying it from these guys that are ripping people off for a dollar a foot or, or whatever
1: yeah and you know my issue with it if all right like with mad rabbit I, I have a little bit less ire with mad rabbit because they're they're not hyping their wire. They're not saying it's better than this. They're not saying it's better than that. They're saying, try this. It's just like, which is a fair assumption. I mean, that, that, that's a fair description of it. They're not saying that it's any better. And it's a price differential that's slightly less. Um, could you still buy it by, you know, the 100-foot spool the, or the 500-foot spool? Yes. Is everybody going to do that? No. We have a lot of people in this industry that are just lazy. A lot of vapors that say, you know what? I don't feel like having five hundred feet or a thousand foot spool just sitting in my garage collecting dust and then I gotta go out and I gotta cut off six inches of it when I wanna wrap a coil. I'd rather just pull a little baggie out of a drawer and wrap my coils and go on. If that's your argument for it, fine. It's your money, spend it how you want. But for a company to sit back and go our wire is better. It's going to ramp up faster. It's going to taste better because we do special stuff to the wire and you're going to buy it and you're going to swear by it. And you're going to tell other people about it, but we're going to charge you $20 a foot for it or $20 for, for 15 feet of it. And you're going to continue to buy it because you're stupid. That was my big my well, big hang up well, on I, I why I wanted to do. This.
0: I, I don't necessarily disagree with you saying stupid. It's it's more of, it's just a soft market and vapors are drug addicts and uh, they just they want to believe. They just want to believe. I've seen this. You know, it's a good uh, analogy to all this stuff. I'm used to seeing the stuff in the high end audio business. Audio files are exactly the same way. They just they want to buy something special and they're you know they're they're buying the exact same product with a fancy label on it for 40 times the price. it's the same thing I've seen this before you know it's the same exact thing and um I just well, feel bad for the consumer because they they want to believe they, they they these people they think they're reputable they think they know something they think they're experts and they believe it and they're just getting built I understand the convenience factor of being able to buy you know 20 feet at a time and you know that's a big uh convenience and if and, and if you as long as you know that as long as you know you're playing you're paying 40 times higher the price just to have a more convenient little of product or whatever then knock yourself out but the important thing is uh-huh. just be informed that you could go buy 100 feet of this and you know what tear off 20 feet of it and you know you know save a lot of money and throw the rest of it away or recycle it or whatever i, I mean just know that these companies are most of them at least by what you're telling me they're just lying they're lying to you and they are marking up astronomical profits for something that anybody could get for just a, it's just such an it's so much it's so marked it's marked up so high it makes e-liquid look like you know the the amount they mark up with e-liquid I mean it's okay. nothing compared to this it's 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 a different it's a different universe
1: yeah it is and like with e-liquid you know i understand that somebody sat back and they probably made 15 or 20 different variants true, of true. flavor Absolutely. before they even put it out. Yeah. They did their own research. They played with the mixtures. That's, I understand and that. And
0: that is actual labor versus what these companies are doing yeah. is they're creating a sticker and hype. That's mm-hmm. all they're doing. Yes. And the labor yep. is not the same. I understand going through. It's like, you know, when you go to a restaurant, you know, what you're being served, you know, the food costs very little compared to what you're being charged for. But the chef had to sit there and experiment, and you know, you know, work these things out. And it's, I understand that. This, it's just, exactly. it's just the sticker. That's all it is.
1: <coughs> yes, it is. There was only one wire that I tested, and it's not even in the list because when I did the original PMI analysis, I didn't have any. Uh, I didn't have the packaging that it came in, so the test didn't look uh, presentable in my opinion, but I tested, uh, defiant wire. And, uh, the guy that owns defiant wire, he sat back with me one day and, and he said, why are you doing this? I said, well, cause I, I really want to know what, uh, what is in these wires. I think people have a right to know what they're vaping on. Yes. Um, if someone was using something and they had a, uh, say they were allergic to manganese or they were allergic to molybdenum or chromium or this or that. I mean, all of these wires have chromium in them, so it's not really a a basis, but like manganese and molybdenum and nickel. Say if you were allergic to nickel and anytime you put a nickel earring in your ear, your ear swells up as big as a grapefruit and gets nasty. You know, people have a right to know that. People have allergies to certain things. And Anarchist Wire was the only one that even put a label on the bag and even said what it was. And it, it is. It's Nicrome 80, it's exactly what it says it's in the bag. There's nothing special about it. You can get the same exact stuff from Lightning Vapes. A hundred dollar you know, a hundred foot spool for six or seven dollars. It does not meet the price differential of being priced fifty times more expensive by the foot as opposed to 2 cents a foot to over a dollar a foot
2: yeah
1: it doesn't compare yeah um the other wire that i tested that's not on the list uh, continuing on was uh that defiant and it came back as 304 stainless steel but the guy told me he said yeah but you got to take two strands of the wire take a strand of mine and take a strand of Royal or a strand of the G plat or whatever strand that you're going to use. That's three Oh four, put them side by side and do a bend test on. So I did, I took two pieces of wire. I straightened them out on a drill and I put them side by side on a table and I used my straight edge ruler and I bent both of them down until the ruler popped past it and the Royal wire sprang up higher the defiant wire did come back as being significantly softer which tells me that the wire is annealed so he actually is doing something to his wire now you know does anybody need their wire to be softer i mean it all depends do you want a little bit more convenience when you wrap a coil does it help you wrap a prettier coil a nicer coil something that's going to vape and taste better for you it's all subjective
0: it is it is and
1: but at least, uh, but, but i at mean least. The, the time and
0: maybe that listen if you think that's worth it that's fine but i mean at the end of the day you take your strand of wire that you're going to build an rba you clip it with some forceps and then you, you run a you run a torch over it that takes 30 seconds you know and hey listen if you don't want to do that and it's worth the 30 seconds for someone else to do it for you but that's all annealing is right
1: well, the annealing process actually takes hours upon hours upon hours. Oh. You heat it up to a certain degree and you slowly bring the temperature down. I stand in a sense, yes. In a sense, yes, you can somewhat anneal wire. It will become softer when you run a torch over it and you heat it up, but the stepping down, the the gradual decrease in temperature when you bring it down, it does significantly make it softer and it is it's a little bit more consistent than just running a torch across it could okay. you just run a torch across it sure you could
0: okay okay so so yeah, t- so so towards towards that end i mean can you buy that wire you know by the 100 foot or whatever that's pre-annealed um, uh, is it out there or do they not do that
1: no they don't anneal the wire because the wires have to maintain a specific brunel hardness factor and for brunel testing we use another another tool um there's the telebruneller uh which uses a a hardened steel ball bearing and a striker bar and the striker bar goes into the tool and there's a ball bearing on one side that you put up against what you're going to test for its hardness factor and when you strike the back side of it with this hammer you're we call it ringing the steel when you ring it it's gonna leave a small indention in the surface of what you're testing. Well then you pull the bar out of the uh, the gauge and you use a jeweler's loop. And this jeweler's loop will magnify it up so you can you know more easily you know tell the size of the dimple that it puts into the test bar and into the test surface. And based upon what the hardness is of the bar that you're using in the tool and the hardness of what you're testing, you use a little bit of math and it tells you what the hardness factor on the Brunel scale that what you're testing is. Um, So annealing softens your wire Mm -hmm. and in the industrial side of things, you don't want the wire being softer. If anything, you'd want it to be harder. Now, if it's the weld comes out as too hard, then they stress it, which they heat it up until it reaches its elastic point, and the metal actually relaxes on its own, so it gets a little bit softer if the weld comes out too hard. But it's easier to soften a weld than it is to harden a weld.
0: Okay. I think I understand. So,
1: all right, r- wrapping this
0: up, and thank you so much for both what you and Jesus did with all the testing to, you know, to to suss this all out. I mean, basically what it comes down to for the stuff that you tested. uh, Nichrome 80, whether you buy it from Lightning Lightning Vapes is Nichrome 80, from Dragon Wire, or from uh, Anarchist, it's all Nichrome 80. Um, Mad Rabbit and the Blue or the Premium G-Plat, that's 316L stainless steel welding wire. Uh, The Red G-Plat and the Royal, r three Oh four stainless steel welding wire. And that's, that's about it. I mean, you tested a couple others that, that you didn't put on the list, but it's all. So, so yeah. here, here's the real question. It's like, you know, so, so there's a vapor out there listening to this saying, all right, I'm tired of being ripped off and, and paying these exorbitant markups for this wire. Where do I go to buy whatever is my favorite? Where do I go to buy, you know, the, this, the stainless steel welding wire, you know, what's the best place for me to do that?
1: Um, uh, what I normally do is I just go to Google and I type in 316 stainless steel welding wire by the spool and within 7 seconds I can come back with uh, Amazon sells 316L stainless MIG welding wire for a 2 pound spool um, let see it's connecting for a 2 pound spool is and I would say a roughly that a two-pound spool would probably be several hundred feet, 2199 mm-hmm. plus 626 shipping. Mm-hmm. And that's from Welding City on Amazon. Um, let's see. I go back. Uh, I go back. Uh, Airgas, uh, 316 Sandvik, 316 L stainless wire. Their search within about 10 seconds comes back with a comparable price
0: mm-hmm. okay so there's there, there's metal you know stores on amazon and ebay that do this sort of thing you go for the highest rated one and you're pretty much good to go pretty much yep. yeah well jeremy thank you so much i really appreciate it you took a lot of time uh and spent money on these wires to educate the public and that's um enormously commendable. Uh, it's the most important thing. And if and if after listening to this people say, yeah, you know what, fuck it. I'm just going to stick with, you know, paying $23 for 15 feet because it's, uh, it's real convenient for me, then Mazel Tov, do that. But if you if you want to actually just get the same product and save a ton of money, you've given the information on how to do that. And I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. And uh, thank goodness people like you and Jesus have this, these $40,000 testers where you could, you know, you could go through this and, and give us the information because how else would we have gotten it, you know?
1: Yeah, and I mean you can buy one of these testers on uh, on eBay or another you know comparable site for about twelve thousand used.
0: Okay, well no problem. Well, <laughs> at, at that price I'll I'll take two.
1: <laughs> <laughs> my company just just the Houston office that I work in. My company has twelve.
0: Yeah, gotcha. Okay, well <laughs> listen, it, I, it doesn't. Are you're not in the in in the vaping industry in any way? I, if, if you are, I'd ask I, I'd ask you to give a plug, but I don't think you are, right?
1: No. Um, I know a lot of people. Um, I know a lot of these people personally, and some of them were a little, you know, crappy with me about doing this. Others, uh, like the guy that owns uh, Defiant, which is now Atomic, he sent me six bags of his wire as, a, you know, hey, here, thank you for doing what you do. I appreciate it. I'm like, well, do you want me to test it? And he's like, nope, I already know what it is. It's 304, just like what you tested before.
2: Mm-hmm. i
1: like, okay, so... I mean, it is noticeably softer. So, I mean, if I were to choose what wire I would buy, if I was going to buy a boutique wire of any type, I'd buy Atomic just because I know Tucker. Tucker's a good guy. He's straight up. And, uh, you know, he he doesn't say that he does anything to his wire that, you know, he's not doing. I mean, it's obvious that he's annealed his wire and softened it.
0: Okay. Hey, well, that's actually doing something. And if having a softer wire is easier for you to work with, then... And maybe that's worth it for, for people, and I'd say there's no problem with that. But these these other sure. guys that are that are saying, you know, this is the Mejia, this is the Second Coming, and we made this wire, and it's but you know they're just lying. They're lying, and they don't. They just don't deserve your business.
1: Exactly, because I've heard several of the companies. One of them in particular, I don't know if you want me to shame them or not. Uh, they uh, they said, well, we went to the wire company and we had them make a custom mix specifically for us. No, you didn't. Yeah, go ahead and say no, it. You didn't. Go ahead and say it, because people deserve uh, to know who the liars are. Uh, uh, Sweet Spot Vapors. Um, the guy, uh, m- what's his name? Uh, Moa Moy may I? Uh, drawing a blank on his name right this minute. Um, but he, he apparently he owns Sweet Spot Vapor. And he said, you know, my titanium wire, I have them specifically mix my wire to my specifications. And I called him flat out to his face. said, you're a liar there's no way that you with your you know couple of hundred thousand a year company you know probably at best you might clear a million that you went to a you know already you know uh, established wire manufacturer that's already making a particular blend of wire that's making them millions a year if not billions in the industrial sector alone and you convinced them with your chunk change to stop making the wire that is their bread and butter and cater specifically to you for the tiny industry that is vaping, mm-hmm. it's not going to happen. Yeah, nobody in this industry has that much stroke. I don't care who you are.
0: Yeah, yeah. Probably, if you took every company who is selling wire, if you put them all together, it's not enough for them to to pool everything and go to one of these wire manufacturers and get something special made. It's just not enough. Not enough product for them to to make something special. There's no way.
1: No, it's, it's really not. Now, you know, his wire came back as being exactly what he said it was. It conforms to F67 STM procedures. It is, you know, 98, 99% pure titanium. There is some LEC, you know, lesser equivalent content in the wire that's probably just, you know, Dust and debris from the manufacturing process. If somebody was standing over the smelter, that's you know up or above, or they got a little bit of grease on you know some of the ingots that went into the melting pot, lesser equivalent content. I mean, it's allowed to be in the wire, just like cricket legs are allowed to be in your peanut butter. You know, it's a certain amount that's allowed to be there. And did he? actually go and convince them to make special wire for him no right. he's doing the same thing that everybody else is doing. He's buying it by the 5,000 foot spool or the 10,000 foot spool. He's running off 10 or 15 feet stuffing it in an envelope with a couple of you know BS cotton balls or cotton pads and saying here you go mm-hmm. I right. mean it is it is good it is decent wire but it's not special.
0: Well, you said it all. Thank you so much. Thank you. And uh, thank you to uh, to Jeremy uh, Medlock and to Jesus Martinez for doing this testing and replication and educating the public. Um, Thank you so much. Uh, The test results are located in the replay notes. And I'll throw it up one more time here in the show chat also so everyone has access to this. I really appreciate what you did there, Jeremy. Thank you so much for all the hard work you put into this. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you, sir. Have a great night.
0: Hey, you too, man. Cheers. All right, there he goes, everybody. Jeremy Medlock, and now we all know what we probably suspected. Boutique Wire is bullshit. All righty, next, what I'm going to do is bring on my man Ed Wolf. Ed does the Vape Week uh, every every Friday night. What time do you do the Vape Week, Ed? I forget. Is it is it a, is it a six o'clock show or a nine o'clock show? I don't remember.
3: Uh, it's uh, 9 p.m. Eastern, uh, so 6 o'clock uh, Pacific. Uh, so, and it occasionally will take the spot, uh, the the missing spot from inside vaping, uh, if 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 it's allowable. I mean, I've done it once on Tuesday. Uh, if there's something that comes up really fast, and I've, I've talked to James Martin about that and everything, so it's pretty much Friday. Uh, and right now, it's pretty much designed for a replay show. Because uh, yesterday, I mean, last week I had a real big problem with the phones. Uh, still trying to figure that out. But uh, something something didn't work where I I was able to hear them, but they weren't able to hear me. So I'm, well, I'm working on that. But yeah, uh, but yeah Fridays and then uh, the replays are available, I think, just about everywhere. Uh, right. I think Stitcher uh, is on there also on. Uh, I know they're on.
0: Uh, yeah, we have iTunes, Stitcher. Nope. I know they're on. Yeah, yeah, I, I look at these but, things uh, and uh, yeah, we we have Stitcher and iTunes just for it to be there, but you you know the vast majority are listening on uh, on SoundCloud on the mobile app. So, hey, but hey, what you know, we're we're in all these places and we're we're happy to have you replays on. Replays
3: are coming. Uh, yeah, replays are coming from Blog Talk Radio, which I
0: was surprised at. Uh, there's like uh, yeah, that's people are listening yeah, to it that, that on Blog Talk Radio. That's that's for a different reason. I'll tell you about that later. But yeah, um, yeah, we're happy to have you. Ed. Uh, it was an experiment to have you do a show, and you're doing great. Uh, people seem to really like the program, so if you haven't checked it out yet, check out The Vape Week. Uh, just w- same place, wherever you're listening now, you can find it there, too. So um, Ed is uh, on tonight to talk about the the deeming regulations date. I am just going to sit back from, I have to be honest with you, I'm, I'm interested to hear this, um, not just as an education for the audience, but I have, um, I've just been, I've been so checked out of the loop on what's going on in vaping. So I am looking forward to an education on this myself. Um, what is going on? What there, I know there was a recent vote, but if we can even back up a little bit and you can just give a little bit of a history behind this legislation, why is it being proposed? What problem is it trying to to, to solve?
2: Well,
3: yeah. Let me step back a little bit too, because uh, I am not a total expert on this. I, I'm following it, and then I actually reached out to uh, Greg Carnley, and uh, he might have an opportunity to call into your show uh, at in about a half an hour. Okay. So if you see his phone number on the line there, yep, I'll, uh, pick yep, it up. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll look out for it. It's going to be him. Yep. So I don't want I you know some of this stuff is coming fast and furious and um, you know, I, I was just able to get the actual amendment and read it uh, not more than 30 minutes ago. And then I watched uh, some of the hearing. And uh, so I don't want to put like like I'm the expert on this at all. But I will tell you what I do understand. And I'm comfortable that sure. I am, you know, my source information is the right information. So, uh, you know, some of the stuff is really um, I'll go into it. But some of it. Uh, The way it's written, it's it's harder than algebra. I mean, it's 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 you have to solve for X and it's really confusing because it's it's referencing like five different other laws. And it's it's really, really complex. So, um,
0: well, let's 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 start from the beginning. uh, What these these bills were, were put out that is, you know, they're good for us and they're trying to solve a problem. Let's start from there.
3: Okay, well, there's been the coal Amendment, and that was done last year, and that was uh, to get a grandfather date change. Uh, and so basically there's a date, I think it's the, the 24th of March or, or, or something like that, 2007, which is the grandfather date or sometimes called the predicate date. And so if a product hasn't been on the market before that date, it's considered uh, a new product and then you have to go through the new product approval process. So there's three different ways to get your, um, your e-liquid onto the market. One is through uh, the hardest one, which is a pre-market tobacco authorization, which is the PMTA, and that you basically have to dot every I. It's a very complex process, and it's also not a, a defined
0: process. Um, and very, it, very, it very, you very expensive use, as well. Yeah. Very, very, a lot of money.
3: It may be. Uh, and that it may not be too. I mean, it's, it's, everybody agrees that it's going to be expensive. But how expensive is an open question. And because it's a process industry. Um, you know, the first one uh, is going to be the highest cost and then this go down lower cost. That's, that's all the stuff that I've been working on with, with VIA, uh, which is, is how to get it through. And so uh, what I've been trying to work on is a way to deal under the worst case scenario that nothing has changed. Uh, and how to get things through with a pre-market authorization. I haven't talked about that in in public for a while, but I'm still cooking on that. I had a meeting with the OMB, had a meeting with the FDA and and still cooking on that, but that that's, how much it's going to cost is an open question. There might be a way to do it with, as a cooperative effort where people work together, which, which I'm calling a rock soup model. Via is a rock soup model. so I'm going to throw a stone in, in a pot of water and if everybody brings you know some food in there, the whole town can eat. That's exactly what it is. So we don't know what the total cost is, but if you look at the document itself, it says it's going to be three hundred and thirty three thousand. So 350k is what the FDA says it's going to be. Uh, but you know there's other estimates it's going to cost two million per skew and there's other estimates it's going to cost five million per skew um you know so what i saw one thing that was saying that if a, if a company has 40 different flavors that it's in the you know and different nicotine strengths it's going to cost them 80 million dollars to get through so it's a big unknown how much it's going to cost but the 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 traditional thought the the uh, the common knowledge is uh, that it's going to be punitive and, and it's going to put people out of the market right. and not just the little guys, but also the bigger guys. So uh, it's mostly said that a PMT, uh, the only people that can get past the PMTA would be the tobacco companies themselves. So that's right. So that's what that is. So that's one of the three. The other one is called substantial equivalence. So then you have a predicate product that uh, you say that our product is, equivalent to that product uh, so it was used for cigarettes so um, if it's used for cigarettes um, hold on just one second let me get a drink <clears throat> if it's used for cigarettes you know it, it's it, there's not not that much of a difference from a cigarette so you know you have one cigarette and you got another cigarette they're pretty much the same thing so uh, you don't have to go start from square one you just uh, have to say if it's as bad Uh, as this other cigarette, but that other cigarette's already on the market, so it's okay. And then the last one, um, and I'll explain a little bit uh, after the last one. The last one is called substantial equivalence exemption, which means that you can go around, um, if if the FDA, for various reasons, thinks that the changes to the product are so minimal that uh, you can just, uh, they'll grant you an exemption. So uh, an example of what that could be in e-liquid, and that's one of the things I'm trying to exploit, is that if you remove an ingredient from a product, you can, you can say it's not any worse than uh, the, the, the prior product. So you have something with 10 ingredients, you remove one ingredient, you should be able to say, hey, it's, it's, it's safer, it's, it's, it can't be any worse, um, so you should just let us go. And uh, they, they have a means to do that. Does that make sense? Yep. Okay. Uh, so th- those are, that, that's, that's the whole process that things have to go through. So the coal bill was to change the predicate date for, for that. So right now, the only way to use a substantial equivalence is that it has to be out by 2007. So it, it's back in time. So there's no comparable products. So essentially, with the, having that date, it has to uh, every every product has to be um, compared to something from 2007. There's no comparison to 2007, so you have to basically start from square one. Everything has to go through PMTA. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the framework uh, of what's going on. Now, what I'm confused about is whether. Well, keep, keep this in mind. I'm not sure if this is a predicate change or a grandfather date change. And I, and so that's something I'll have to figure out just keep that in mind. So that that's – the Cole Amendment was trying to move the date uh, for grandfathering is my understanding. And everything that I've seen for what was done yesterday is talking about a predicate date change. And I think they could be the same thing, but I don't think they are. Because if you have – If you have your product on the market and it's grandfathered in, you don't have to throw in any applications. They're all good to go. But if you have a predicate change, that means that you can compare it to a different product that is approved. It gets really confusing. So if if there's an e-liquid that's approved and and the predicate date change says that I can compare it to that one even though that product came in 2014, then you can – you can compare it for that for substantial equivalence. But a problem with substantial equivalence, the way I've been reading it, is that you have to have what you're comparing is substantially equivalent as a product that was made by your company. So you cannot say, I'm comparing to Marlboro if you're Kent's, um, because it's two different companies. So I can't compare to Juice One because I didn't make Juice One. I have to have my own product Uh, for substantial equivalence. That's the last time I read it. That's what it said. Um, So what the belief is, is that now with this change of date is that all these uh, products are going to be able to stay on the market um, because of that. So there's a whole bunch of easing up with the change of the date. So it was tried last year as just a date change. So to, to fix the grandfather date. So what happened is that there was a hearing yesterday and nobody had seen what this bill was, nobody. Uh, and, uh, it was passed and and the bill had certain things within it and it had sort of writers, So it was the date change. It was reported out as the date change, but it was, it was a few more things than that. So, um, what do you you have another question?
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, ultimately what this, what this is all about is, you know, in the worst case scenario, uh, most companies would not be able to stay in business unless they were, you know, big tobacco, um, in the best case scenario. I mean, even in the best case scenario, you know, how is this going to affect medium to large size companies? I I would just assume that the smaller companies are either just going to go out of business or just operate under the radar until they get caught. So, from you know the medium to larger size companies, under the best case scenario, how does this affect their ability to continue to manufacture product? Right.
3: Well, I just want you haven't heard any of my shows, right? I just want to you know anything uh, that I've said in my just shows to be completely so honest, heard, I don't, right? I
0: don't. It's it's nothing personal. Ed. I don't listen to any vaping podcasts at all. All I'm all I've been listening to is is stuff about Europe and the migrant crisis lately. I haven't been listening to any vape shows,
2: period.
3: I I, I totally understand. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why that makes sense to do if you're doing your own show. Uh, Absolutely. So I just, there's things that that I may have said in my shows that that people might be thinking of that I may have said it. Um, you, you You don't know what I've said in any of my shows, so... So, if people want to call up and ask me something, that's fine. But you don't, you you don't know the base of stuff that I've been putting out in my shows. So, mm-hmm. I just want to make sure that anybody else. Well, as, that. Uh, you know,
0: assume, um, as, assume the the you know part of the audience here hasn't either. So, you know, whatever you think makes sense to help clarify right. this, what's going on.
3: So. The the coal amendment happened last year and it failed, but it's still kind of going along is my understanding. And then this is just another way of getting a coal amendment in through a different vehicle. Uh, So this, this was done by uh, a group called VTA, which is the vapor tobacco association, which is something that was recently created. And it's something that is contrasting to uh, Safada, Casa, the ADA, it's, it's trying to be all of those things in one group all by itself. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the person that's doing that is named Tony Abound, uh, which uh, I've met him once, but I don't know anything other than that. And so what they're doing, it's different than... It's different because you know, I, I was listening to when Greg Conley launched the AVA and he was adamant that there would never be any tobacco money in the AVA ever. That is not what the uh, Vaping Technology Association is doing. What they are doing is they're taking money from tobacco. So I don't know who wrote this bill or, you know, what I don't know who their members are, I know, I think National Tobacco is one of their members, um, but I think, I don't know, for all I know, RJR is with them. I just just don't know who their members are, and and I don't think they've published a list. So they were bringing this through with their lobbyists, and nobody got to see what the the documentation was until, I think, after the bill. Um, So it has some weird things that are writing in there. And again, I think I said it, I, I just was able to look at that. Uh, so the, the hope is by having this amendment go through, and it's not passed all, all the way right now. This is like a subcommittee, and I guess it has to go to Another, uh, you know, the full Congress, at least uh, it has to go to the House, and then the House has to pass a version, and then the Senate has to pass a version, and then the two get reconciled. And because it's part of uh, agricultural appropriations, the thing has to pass at some point. It's just a matter of what riders are going to be inside of it. So the belief is that if this comes through, uh, if the grandfather days change, the cost of doing compliance will be radically Uh, made lower. Again, we don't know what the cost for the top is and we don't know what the cost for after this is, but the belief is that people will be able to get through it. So I'm looking at this bill, uh, which I just got a hold of, and the way it it talks about the grandfathered date, it says uh, hold on it says any reference to section 905J or 901 or 910A of such act uh, 21 USC 387 EJ 387JA to federal uh, to February 15th 2000, 2007 as other than a reference to the effective date of the regulation under which tobacco is deemed to be subject to the requirement of a chapter pursuant to chapter 901B of such act 21 U.S.C., 387 A, B, and some other references. That's the way it's written. So that's where I'm saying there's just a whole bunch of numbers there, and you have to reference each single one, and then you have to solve for X and figure out what the hell this thing is actually doing. Hmm. What it's reporting to doing is changing the grandfather date um, or the predicate date. And I know Greg has been working on this, and he understands it. So I don't want to... Uh, to think that, that he, I have a better understanding of what he's saying um,
4: no, no, or what he would your, say.
0: Your opinion's still valuable for this because uh, it's, you know... No, no.
3: I mean, I, I understand I understand that part, um, but the thing that, that concerns me is that uh, I don't know if you know that uh, Dimitri has a new show called Smoke Free Radio uh, on his own network. I don't know if you're aware of that or not. I'm aware but of it, but I haven't listened Tony to it. About Tony went on. Uh, the The Vapor Tobacco Association went on with him yesterday, and uh, you know the the head of it, which is the guy's name, Tony A B B O U N D, so abound uh, is his last name. And and he was they were basically doing a, a victory lap, slap their backs, and uh, everybody was really happy. And this was this was a gigantic win. The thing is that I saw, I watched the hearing, and I don't know if anybody else. I mean, I, I, one of my things is I, I feel like people are walking around like zombies and I had to do on my show, a whole analogy of pod people and zombies. And, and just because people are just, it seems to me following bad advice blindly because when I, when I watched the hearing, they're talking about this bill banning flavors. They say it in there that it enables the banning of flavors. And and so so people are backslapping, and I'm going wait, wait a second, wait wait a second. It's saying that it's banning flavors, or the, it, rather, it gives them the capability to ban flavors. So my deep concern with all of this is that by by trying to get a grandfather date change, which we don't know the exact difference of how much of a benefit that's going to be. For example, what does a product does when does If a product is already on the market, what documentation must you have to establish that your product is on the market ahead of a certain date? Do you have to have ingredient listing? Do you have to have manufacturing standards? Do you have to have proof of receipts? How does does the government know other than a label on the outside of what your product is? Now, for the tobacco industry, it's pretty clear. Everybody knows what a cigarette is, and, you know, you can you can have uh, cigarettes that you can purchase off the shelf. Uh, there's probably collectors of cigarettes. You can get boxes of cigarettes. There's many, you know, they have gigantic industrial machines. There's uh, procedures and everything on how the thing is manufactured. There's documentation up the hill. But for any e-liquid maker, I bet there's not enough documentation to show that your product was on the shelf beforehand other than, oh, look, it was on a website and it's a label. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the reasons why I say that I don't know how much of a cost savings this is going be. I I don't know how much of an advantage it's going to be, but they, the, what comes along with that date change in the hopes of the, that dollar change, which is undefined is the capability to ban flavors. And if I read this log, cause I'm, I'm reading, uh, they were talking about that on the floor. Um, it also is saying so so my concern is that this VTA which is a totally unknown organization as far as I can tell uh, you know Dimitri doesn't work with Safada anymore uh, neither does the TSFA and I don't think that uh, this VTA group does so they're not checking in with people that have that have been working with the FDA and they've tossed this out into the Congress and they've allowed different writers to come through so the first thing you think of is oh fuck this thing got voted through why do these very aggressive democrats who are very aggressive and very savvy why did they give up the votes to get this thing through is something getting snuck through so i just got this document and and it says here and this this is going to be an easier chapter uh, paragraph to read a vapor product shall be deemed to be misbranded under Section 903 of the FDC Cosmetics Act, if the advertising with respect to the vapor products is disseminated by a manufacturer, distributor, retailer, or product in a newspaper, magazine, periodical, or other publication, including a limited distribution, a, real, a retailer uh, may only sell a product. Uh, well, that's and that's another thing. So. It, it, what it says there is that the product will be misbranded. And that, again, a vapor product shall be misbranded. So usually what you think of with the Federal Trade Commission with advertising is that you're not allowed to advertise a product. But the way they're saying this is they're saying that the vapor, the product itself will be misbranded. And then they, they can kill – if you advertise the wrong way, they can kill the product. The way I read this is that the root goes back to the, the bottle. It doesn't go back to the company or, or monetary penalties. It, it washes right back onto the product. And the way that's written is that the Internet, I believe, is, the, is a publication. So I, I think that if you advertise on the Internet, there is a chance that they can come after you with this bill and say that you, your products are no longer good. So to
0: me, it's a Pandora's box. Yeah. Um, my, my best guess, my, my best guess is that, you know, these people don't like to reinvent the wheel. Um, what they have, and I don't know exactly what the rules are for cigarettes, but I have some idea. Uh, as far as I know, you can't, well, I don't know. You tell me, maybe you know better than me. I don't think you, I, I know you can't, uh, advertise cigarettes on television. Uh, I don't think you, I, I don't know where they are these days I think you can still do it. Like I, I used to get Playboy recently and Playboy had cigarette ads in it recently. I mean, I would think they're just trying to mirror whatever you can do with cigarettes is all you could do with vapor products. I mean, is, is that your understanding?
3: Uh, what my belief is, is that most of the restrictions to advertising on cigarettes is done through the MSA and other agreements and not oh, okay. anything to do with the federal government. Right, And so, for example joe camel uh everybody talks about oh we got rid of joe camel that was done through a civil suit in san francisco that mm-hmm. had nothing to do with the government and the the only thing that the the msa was right behind it so the msa was coming through and so they just they just gave up on joe camel so i think you can do some things with broadcast you know the nbc abc stuff that comes over the antenna you can you can prohibit some sorts of advertising and things there but I think if they wanted to and they didn't have any of these civil agreements under the courts, that they could advertise on TV right now if they wanted to, but they're just not going to do it. They've already got their their addicted customers. They don't need to do it. But if I read this correctly, they're going to stop e-cigarettes from advertising on the Internet in, in vape magazines. And, you know, there there's something that talks about, a certain number of distribution, uh, and it comes up later, but the, the bigger concern, and I need to talk to a, a you know, a regulatory lawyer like, uh, Azeem or uh, perhaps a, a Greg Troutman, uh, who, who are both working on Indiana to, to actually find out some of the answers to this. But to me, uh, a broad reading, you know, a worst case scenario is that you can't advertise in a uh, vape news magazine, um, uh, and you can't advertise um, on anything that is a handaway. at any free magazine. You can't advertise in it because anybody can pick it up off the shelf. Um, and I, because it's not outlying the internet, it doesn't put down the internet as something as a publication. I believe that the internet is a publication well, and then you have to get internet lawyers involved.
0: Well, well, Ed, you just raised a bunch of questions. Uh, Try to keep them in mind because Greg is now available to uh, to talk with us. Greg, thanks so much for calling in tonight. Long time no speak, buddy. Hey, Rob. Hey, how's it going, sir? So we're we're sussing. We're 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 trying to make heads or tails. I haven't. I got to be honest, Greg. Ed Ed's on the line with us, and he's been paying a lot more attention than me. Um, so I'm like the explain like I'm five crowd. Ed is a little bit more, uh, a lot more educated on this. And I've been listening to Ed for the past half hour, go through this, and it's incredibly complicated. Um, Ed, I'm actually going to ask you to kind of take over. And with these things that we've been discussing, could you, could you ask some questions that will maybe help uh, elucidate the audience as to what's going on with this legislation and what's going, what, what's, what's doing?
3: Right. So Greg, can you hear me? Greg, can you hear me?
5: Yeah, speak up. uh, I have headphones for a drive.
3: All right, so I'll yell into the microphone. Uh, Can you explain – well, there's a couple things. I'm I'm talking about the things that ride along with the grandfather-slash-predicate date, and there's a couple things that I see in there that's talking about the product being determined to be adulterated um, if the advertising is – Um, in in the wrong journal. If if your advertising is done in the wrong place, they talk about the product being adulterated rather than you just having to pay a civil fine. So it looks to me like they can take the product off the shelf if you advertise in the wrong
5: place. Is that true? I don't think anyone um, thought that through. Um, But I also think that the best way to get an answer to this is to go to the... Tobacco Control Act, and look up the words adulterated and and the other uh, similar terms, because it's possible that the way that legislators, the way that Congress and the FDA use the term adulterated uh, and the consequences for being determined to be an adulterated product might be different than what the typical human brain attaches to those terms, which is often confusing.
3: Right, it's it's
5: actually the the term is misbranded,
3: um, and I think I, I'd have to look at it, but I'm pretty sure that they have in the Tobacco Control Act, they have the right to remove any misbranded product from the shelves. But that's something I can't. Well, out.
5: well, here's the thing: it's also entirely possible that, for example, MRTP claims, modified risk tobacco product claims, that if you go to that section of the wall,
4: that it says. Uh,
5: If you are a manufacturer or a retailer, um, and you are placing ads, uh, that leads to the product as sold by you being determined to be adulterated or misbranded.
3: Okay, so I I think uh, what I, because some of those things are just unknown. But can you explain what the difference between the grandfather date and the predicate date is, and what would be the benefit? to having the original coal bill with just the grandfather date change move through without any of these attachments. Just talk about how does this change with the coal bill benefit? The
5: grandfather date and the predicate date are the same thing. And in terms of predicate date, these bills both serve virtually the same purpose. Uh, Other than the fact that HR 2058 makes that change permanent, while this is a budget measure that theoretically could be uh, revoked at some point in the future. Uh, Give me one second. I'm going to pay a toll.
3: Okay. So what what I'm hearing in that is that if this is only temporary, uh, that if it's being moved in with hope of changing the grandfather date that all of the uh, accoutrements all of the extra items those things are going to be permanent those are change those are going to be long-term things
5: well i'm going to go back to the original question because it's a good one to explain the difference between uh, predicate date and grandfather date Essentially, when people say grandfather they're referring to the fact that the product uh from 2007 through the new date, would not have to go through PMTA, uh, the PMTA process. Then when people talk about predicate dates and predicate products, they are talking about the substantial equivalence route to possibly bring new products to the market um, after uh, the predicate date has passed, well, after the effective date of the regulation. and so. Uh, the predicate you 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 as a manufacturer, if you have a hundred flavors out the market, uh, when the regulation is effective and when the pre- and on that predicate date, then your products are your predicate products. They are your products that were grandfathered in, but the technical term for them is your predicate products.
3: Right, I understand that,
5: uh, but will
3: any products? It, will any products be grandfathered in? If this if this bill passes in any of its form, will a product that is being sold today be allowed to be sold forevermore without extra costs,
5: if without application, If this passes, the FDA, if they want to move forward with the dealing regulation, they have to say that it is our policy that these products are grandfathered. Uh, it is no guarantee that in the future, the FDA won't suddenly decide, uh, oh, we don't have this this, uh, this, this uh, problem with us anymore, so we're going to do something different. But once you have it in a budget bill one year, and once it completely changes the regulatory scene, it is a lot easier to come back the next year and keep that in there. There's there's, a, there's more of a presumption that it will continue to be in the budget bill once it been in there for a year, and then also uh, that will provide, the, the hopefully, the additional leverage to get HR 2058 passed or get the language included in some other bill.
3: So the, the extra items that are going along with this, like the, the Internet sales and then the marketing to kids, uh, those things are going to be permanent regardless the way I'm reading it. Those are not just a one-time thing. Those are actually a- addressing the laws. Is that correct is yeah, not Yes, but this, uh,
5: this isn't banning Internet
3: sales. Well, it's saying that you can't use publications, and it's not defining the Internet. Um, and so the, the section that it, talks about it, Internet the intent, sales... The intent,
5: it, of a, the intent of that language is to mimic the MSA requirements that were laid out for cigarettes as well as I believe in the Global Smuggle Tobacco Agreement as well. Uh, I don't right. believe that there's any attempt to uh, to get it on the Internet, and if they tried, it would almost certainly not end up constitutional. I don't even know if this, this requirement... Uh, because the original one with cigarette and plug tobacco was done uh, through voluntary agreement, not legislation.
3: Uh, well, it, it says here that a retailer may only sell an, any vapor product in a direct face to face exchange without the assistance, without the assistance of any electronic or mechanical device. And then it says that mail order is accepted. You know, there's an exception for mail order. But the Internet has a bunch of – there's a whole bunch of Internet law. And I think that it's it's not – it doesn't list out the Internet. And, and what you just said makes sense why it doesn't list out the Internet, because the MSA was before the Internet. So I think under a hard
2: 90 seconds,
3: this is going after Internet sales. And, and you you know, it's not going to be able to be decided here, but – it's not listing out the internet as being an exemption. It only talks about mail order, like you call up a company and you order a product and they ship it across state lines. But it's it's saying you can't use electronic devices
5: unless it is for a mail order. And in my opinion, an internet order. Sixty or seconds. You pick up a phone and make a phone call to place an order. Uh, that is not. That's not a concern of mine. Uh, I think that it, it's not intended, nor will it be used to ban internet sales. Wow. It's well,
0: right? well, Greg, let me ask a question. What about... Oh, uh, I can... Let me ask a question. Ed. So uh, what about what about a, a, a brick-and-mortar vape shop, which is absolutely a face-to-face sale? Would they be able to take an ad out in their local paper or on their local uh, FM radio station? What's the
5: there are, does that fall within the requirements there? I would think the local newspaper uh, does not have, that there are this, this under 2 million subscribers, or uh, I don't have it in my head at the moment, but 10 the probably doesn't have 15% uh, readership under the age of 18. Uh, and many of them have such low readership that I don't believe the rules would apply. Those rules are designed for Mass media, very very large advertisers with well, large magazines with large penetration, but compared to not having the predicate date changed, I'm not concerned. And plus, this does not prevent bait shops from advertising in in outlets. It prevents bait shops from advertising particular sorry uh, particular products. The product is the issue, not the advertising
0: of the vape shop. Right, okay, I understand. Well, what about um, on a larger scale? Like, I remember uh, the last couple of years, I think Enjoy has been advertising on the World Series of Poker, which is on ESPN. What about that?
5: Depends on the viewership demographics. Typically, the e-cigarette companies that advertise uh, nationally, uh, when they are asked by the media, they claim that they operate under... Uh, much the same rules as the cigarette and suckless tobacco companies do. Because, yeah, a lot of media firms that the enjoys and blues of the world are going to work with okay. have also worked with Orillard and Reynolds in the past. So they're familiar with the rules that are in place. So I don't know exactly what the World Series of Poker does. I I, I somewhat suspect that it would be, uh, it would, uh, be acceptable. to to advertise there, but um, I'm not entirely sure that once, it's possible that once Enjoy is a tobacco product, they may not be allowed to sponsor, they will not be allowed to sponsor certain events. I'm not sure how broad that is, Uh, but I don't even know if they'll be allowed to sponsor, They they may be allowed to play commercials, but I don't know if they'll be allowed to sponsor the World Series Poker.
0: Ed, Ed, you were talking before about a potential Pandora's box that opened because you, you noticed that all of these liberal Democrats who are typically our biggest enemy, uh, you know, you know, kind of like lent their votes to this. And you said that there are some people can Can you just re-ask that question to Greg? Because you know more about it than me. The, the, the Pandora's box of opening up the ban of flavors with whatever just went through. No,
5: fine. OK. Yeah.
3: Yeah, so what I see in, in that section that I was just talking about is it says without the assistance of any electronic, and then it has an or statement. It says or mechanical device such as a vending machine. So it's calling out both, and it's using an or, uh, and then it only references mail order. So if the language was good for the MSA, I'm saying that there is a chance that the whole Internet can get slipped in and interpreted the wrong way because it's not updated clear.
5: Let me be clear. It is the advertising portion that is from the MSA, the uh, the behind-the-counter type requirements, no vending machine. Uh, I don't believe uh, it's taken right from the MSA. Uh, and oh, I so, am
3: so I, What I'm saying is that I don't know who wrote this language. It, I just got the language about an hour ago. So when, when the... What? What? <laughs> Wasn't this brought in by VTA? No. So when they were saying yesterday that this is how they moved it through, what, were they, what did they do?
5: There's a coalition on Capitol Hill that meets with legislators and determines what is going to be acceptable. And the, what I believe happened was that a skeleton, an idea of what the proposal could look like was sent to staff uh, but I do not believe staff copied it word-for-word word by any means. There was actually... Uh, I, I do know that it was not copied word-for-word. Word. Uh, so... It wasn't singularly CTA. It wasn't singularly Altria. It wasn't singularly it Sabato. Was, it's been a uh, extensive, ongoing group effort.
3: So Altria was part of the mix, though? Sure. Right. So, I mean, when I'm concerned with a Pandora's box is these extra things that have been added on, I'm not sure if how they can be interpreted. So basically what I said to Russ was a playoff of, you know, don't trust any club that accepts you as a member. Uh, So I'm wondering why the Democrats who had been in opposition to this thing, how come it became a 31 to 19 vote? And because it passed, I'm kind of wondering, isn't that an indication that it's not good? And then I just there's, there's the original grandfather part, and then there's like six other items that are following in. So I'm wondering how bad are these six other things that came along with it? Because I saw that VTA said today that the battery stuff was already allowed by the uh, Tobacco Control Act. And I don't think that's true. But, and if it was already allowed by the Tobacco Control Act, why are they writing it in now? If it's already that way, why why are they doing anything with it?
5: Here's the thing. We had the predicate date change in last year's budget bill. It wasn't enough to get passed. In the end, just like it's probably going to happen this year, the House Freedom Caucus, various Republicans, uh, did would not agree to vote on the overall large uh, multi-trillion dollar budget bill. As a result, Republicans had to go looking for votes from Democrats, and Nancy Pelosi and our leadership kept them in line and kept them from agreeing to vote until the, until the caucus was comfortable with what came up. And uh, as a result, our section was pulled. To have any hope this year of keeping our section in and managing to get leadership in the Democratic Party to not hold up the overall bill because of this provision... Uh, The idea was, what can we give up? What is manageable from our perspective, something that gives us some form of pain, but not so much pain that it impacts consumers, kills businesses, uh, et cetera, but the overall overarching goal of getting the predicate change, which is what we absolutely need. Uh, And that's what we come up with. It's not perfect, but perfect is the uh, enemy of good. Uh, and i'm not particularly concerned that it's going to get worse as we go down the process or or significantly worse
0: okay greg i have a i have a question in your opinion does all of this predicate date grandfather date is this all just related to e liquid or is this related to hardware also and i'm not talking about hardware that's sold in conjunction with e liquid but hardware that is sold just as hardware, uh, th- does this stuff affect that too? Yeah. Uh,
5: whenever the FDA, any, whatever, ten years down the line, however the federal courts eventually rule, uh, whatever product the, the federal courts eventually rule, the FDA actually has jurisdiction over. Once our, once our arguments and interpretations over nicotine versus nicotine free versus uh, tanks versus coils versus how you market, how you label. Any vapor product and related accessory component, etc., uh, will be covered under this, as long as it's what the federal courts eventually determine is what a uh, tobacco vapor product is under the law.
0: What about companies? I mean, this is not what people want to do, but obviously, these this same hardware isn't just used for nicotine or nicotine-free vaporization, but it's used in the cannabis. Uh, market. would uh, I mean, is that the out?
5: That's possible. Uh, it's possible to label a uh, product as saying. It's not for use of nicotine. It's just for use of labor It's just for use of mimicking food. Uh, that's going to be fights down the line. It's going to be fought in state legislatures where if it's a big enough problem, uh, these post FDA, non quote-unquote non-regulated paper products, if they're a big enough problem, you'll have cancer, heart, lung, possibly tobacco companies, possibly some uh, scumbag e-cigarette companies teaming up at the state level to try to ban anything that uh, is not FDA-approved and saying it's drug paraphernalia or saying it's dangerous and unregulated. Uh, you'll have uh, the federal government sending notices to banks. Even though, even if they lose in court or if they're, they're in a two-, three-year court case, we saw this in 2009. The FDA will send out notices trying to get people to uh, get the companies to get dropped by their banks, dropped by their credit card processors. There's a whole long war with a whole lot of unanswered questions that is going to play out over the next decade, two decades, uh, forever.
0: I remember in, like, the summer of last year, Everyone was saying again, okay, the deeming regulations—they're around the corner. They're around the corner. Then they were saying again in the fall. Then they are saying, oh, it's definitely going to happen before the end of the year. Now we're almost halfway through 2016, and the and the deeming regulations—they're—they're they're not out yet. Um, why? What's taking so long?
5: Uh, who knows? Anyone who says that they know probably knows less than the person who uh, just quietly lurks around in the background. Yeah. Um, it's possible that right now one of the things that is holding it up is the premium cigar issue, because in addition to just the general industry problems here in America, you also have the fact that we just opened up trade with Cuba, and there were strong rumors that uh, that when Obama went to Cuba,
4: or you know, pre
5: or post, uh, he was told about the issue of hey, we want to sell our cigars and have a uh, make lots of money with your country and, and build your businesses, and your FDA is going to kill us. Uh, so that possibly one factor right now.
0: If you could guess, because uh, I know this is nobody knows anything what the, the, what's going to happen to this until it actually hits the marketplace. But if you could guess from the worst case scenario of you know none of this none of this stuff goes through, and we're left with February of two thousand and seven that would be the worst case scenario i mean i think we could all agree and we could all make a very educated guess that it would be decimating to the entire e-cigarette industry for everybody except you know big tobacco who happens to be selling you know some cigalikes or something like that 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 would be the worst case scenario in the best case scenario how you know what what does it look like if we get everything that we want, which is probably a long shot with the, with the predicate date and the, and the grandfather date and all that, the other stuff we're talking about today, the best case scenario for, uh, you know, a one to $5 million e-liquid company. Um, how does this affect what they're going to spend and how, you know, the likelihood that they're going to be able to stay in business versus the worst case scenario?
5: Well, in the worst case scenario, very few to little people, uh, any companies that anyone listening to this show cares about will survive. The actual worst-case scenario is worse than you may think because there, around the time that that document, the PMPA guidance leaked from Tiveka, uh, I also heard a very strong, authentic, somewhat authenticated rumor that also included within those documents that were not released was a provision saying that uh, while most products have two years to comply with the PMTA requirements, that in fact the risk of quote-unquote new flavored tobacco products, so any product post-2007, uh, if you would do those risks, you'd only have uh, six months to get your PMTA in and then your ban. So that's actually the worst-case scenario, that uh, the court injunctions of such fail and actually almost everyone in this, our side of the industry gone at six months. Uh, but best case scenario is uh, there. There's two different ones. You have grandfathered products. The FDA looks at substantial equivalence broadly instead of narrowly, which I don't think is going to happen, and allows for new products to be marketed. Marketed uh, that good product standards that don't eliminate companies from the market. Um, and then the other best case scenario is that. This all gets fixed, but then we also start getting movement behind and setting up a new regulatory system uh, at the FDA specifically for vapor products or specifically for smoke free nicotine and tobacco products. Uh, that's also a possibility.
0: Ed, do you have any parting questions for, uh, for Greg?
5: Yeah, I, I have a question.
3: You know, VTA. Seems to be unconcerned that on the floor they were talking about banning flavors. So I'm not sure why VTA is unconcerned about the banning of flavors.
5: That may be a valid concern. I am hopeful that does not happen. Uh, we're going to work towards it. We're going to make sure that people understand uh, how important this is. And uh, yeah, that that could be months away. So there's a lot of work to be done
0: that's all i had greg thanks for taking the time to call in. always appreciated thank you there he goes everybody greg conley from the american vaping association okay um i'm a little bit less confused i really appreciate this ed by the way uh there's no way that i would know the right questions to ask and we were lucky to get greg on tonight so i really appreciate you uh helping along with this and, you know, giving your perspective as well. I, I uh, One thing I'll ask you before we go. I did ask Greg, do you think this affects liquid as well as hardware? I'm certain I've heard you say in the past that you disagree that this has to be e-liquid. Is, are, are you still of that same opinion?
3: Well, I am of that same opinion for the Tobacco Control Act and the deeming. The deeming says clearly that if hardware is sold independent of e-liquid, that it's not part of the act. And they they literally say they'll have to come back and do a new deeming for it if they go that direction. But what it does say is if you're selling a Sigalike and you have a cartomizer and you have the e-liquid in the cartomizer and you're selling the battery and, and the uh, and the Cardamizer together, you know, just just think of V2 or blue or enjoy. Anything is sold at 7-Eleven. If, if the e-liquid is there, then the FDA says we control the whole thing. We control the battery that's in the Sigalike. We control the, the everything because e-liquid is part of that. And one of the things they say in the, uh, the tobacco control act or the deeming, it says if you're selling just that cartridge just by itself, that they – and it just has the e-liquid in it, that they, they definitely – even though it's not a complete uh, tobacco product because it can't work by itself, that it, they do control that. But here's the big but, is that for some reason, and I don't know why, is that uh, the Vapor Tobacco Association, VTA, and Tony they, and they've put in this stuff about batteries. And I've read there's some guy that's on the board that uh, starts with an A, some guy from the U.K., He's done all the stuff about UK battery standards. So by inserting the battery stuff, the first everybody thinks it is great. You know, we all want battery safety. But by giving them control of a battery, then what what is really a battery? Does it, does a battery mean a mod? Uh, you know, say, so I've got an Evic VT uh, with the with the built-in lipos. Uh, is that mod just a battery? I can't. I can't. I'd have to unsolder them to remove them. So it, does that now? Con- take over does the battery standards control the whole mod now. And then uh, you don't know how it's going to go because maybe the FDA is going to assert that a mod like a pro has always must have a battery that goes in it. So when they sell the product, it's really designed for vaporizing and then because a the battery must be part of it that the FDA has control over that. That's what I'm saying at the Pandora's box. I just read this stuff. I don't know how, you know, lawyers are, are evil, uh, and so they, they can do all sorts of things. There's there are good lawyers, like Greg Troutman is a very good lawyer, but they're rare. They're they're not they're not many good lawyers. It's it's probably down to about twenty five percent are good. The rest are evil. They really are those all those lawyer jokes. They're real. Lawyers are evil. They can I did I emphasize that enough? Lawyers are evil. So I don't know what's going to happen, but. You know, there's a lot of these lawyers are also politicians. So who knows how they're going to screw with you. And we already know how much the the anti-vaping groups are screwing with vapors already. They're putting out fake statistics, fake studies. uh, So we just don't know what's going to happen. And I kind of almost feel sorry for the FDA because they're getting whipsawed all over the place. They don't even know what to
0: do. What do you call a thousand vapors chained together at the bottom of the ocean?
3: A lawyer's dream
0: a good start right Ed, thanks so much for joining me tonight you, re- so, oh, you, you you want to say anything in closing Go ahead.
2: well
3: I I'm I there everybody thinks right now that the final rule is going to come out soon so when that happens a lot of things will be going on I expect you'll probably be more interested in the vape stuff when that happens whenever that does happen uh, I there's a song by the Kaiser Chiefs called I Predict a Riot. I think I requested you play it sometime. If you, if you want to play it for your show tonight, that's my request. I predict a riot. It will be very ugly when the final rule d- drops. Um, and so people need to start getting prepared for the final rule. You've got you know people like Dimitri talking about labels, and it's, the game is not going to be labels. The, the game is going to be the regulatory things. One of the things that I said on my show uh, is that you know, I looked at the FDA, the CTP budget, the, you know, the Zeller budget from 2016, they did 160,000 retail inspections last year of tobacco shops, 160,000 of them. And they gave out 3,000 fines. So the, the, the CTP, the FDA has the power to inspect every single vape shop in the nation as soon as the rule hits. So. You know, people should be concerned about what the law says and what the regulations are and stop talking about public perception because when it comes, when these rules drop, there'll be a six-month clock that starts. And so it, it will be uh, very concerning then. And I'm sure you'll be more interested in the vaping scene when all this clusterfuck hits the fan.
0: Oh, I definitely will. Uh, you know, that what I've learned tonight is that if you're not following this, You know very actively it's you know catch you know i i was hoping to catch up on it and and i did a little bit i mean i definitely learned some things from the both of you but this is like the kind of thing that like you really need to you need to live it every day um and yeah i I, i'm i'm still interested in the legal stuff i'm just not interested in you know hardware and you know day-to-day vape drama nonsense but but yeah yeah well yeah but
3: the vape is What's weird to me is that after everybody was so concerned about big tobacco coming in, and uh, you know taking over the industry, we've got a new industry group, the Vapor Tobacco Association. Actually, it's the Vapor Technology Association, and they have they have tobacco in with them. They've got big tobacco as part of their mix and they're now pushing through laws. So calls me skeptical, but I'm concerned about the ramifications. And I know that Greg was saying it's, it's a better, you know, the, 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 the bitter pill was worth it, but you know, I'm still skeptical at this point. And you know, the vote was 31 to 19 and the last vote was something like uh, 40 to zero. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm concerned. I'm, I'm a worry. The gray hairs on my head. Uh, I, I started getting when I was uh, 21 years old. So, uh, I've earned them. So I do worry. I worry a lot. So uh, anyway, thanks. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, and uh, uh, that's that's all I got.
0: There he goes, everybody. Thanks for calling in, Ed. Ed Wolf from um, The Vape Week every every Friday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, or you can just catch the replay on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher. We're everywhere. Thanks so much. Okay, well, 11.09, a lot past what I – but that's good. This is all good good stuff so far tonight. Um, I think I'm going to save some topics for tomorrow, but since um, one of the topics is ongoing, I'll talk about it first. We can save Brie Olson and my new crockpot for next week, but I want—I do want to talk about the fact that Conor McGregor uh, announced his retirement uh, yesterday, which is obviously a huge shock to the to the UFC world. Um, and as far as snooker, I'll just say, snooker is the greatest cue sport in the world. And right now, there's the World Championships. If you want to watch it, it's on the BBC or replays of matches you can find easily on YouTube. But if you want to watch it live on the U- on the uh, BBC website, just install a uh, extension on your browser called Media Hint, Media H I N T, which will allow you to access the BBC iPlayer, and it's just the greatest thing ever. Um, you know, maybe one person who's listening will fall in love with snooker like I have. But let's talk about Conor McGregor for a second. He puts out this tweet yesterday out of nowhere. Nobody n- n- nobody had any idea about what was coming. And he said, uh, I don't have the exact tweet, but it's to the tune of uh, standby. Looks like I'm going to retire early. Thanks for the cheese. See you later. So basically saying, I'm out of the fight game. I've made a lot of money and I'm done, which nobody saw coming. Obviously, he has a huge, huge rematch that was taking place. At UFC 200, which is in July, and he was going to be making you know millions and millions of dollars, probably around five to seven million dollars on the fight, and all of a sudden he retires out of nowhere with no explanation and no context. Now, at first, you know fighters like to do this kind of stuff. They like to josh. They like to you know troll, and that was my first reaction: be like, "Oh, Connor's just you know stirring some shit." And then all of a sudden. There were a lot of respected journalists in the UFC saying, um, this isn't a troll. Uh, he's serious. I, you know, we've got multiple sources close to Connor saying that this is not a joke. So nobody knows what's going on. Instantly, all the speculation starts. And thankfully, a, a short while later, Dana White started giving some interviews. I'd like to play some excerpts uh, from an interview that Dana White did. I think this was on ESPN. Uh, it doesn't matter where it was. But Dana White did talk at length about what's going on. And I want to just dissect and translate this. Uh, Dana White is being extremely... uh, Dana White obviously runs... He's the dictator in charge of the UFC. uh, And I use the word dictator um, uh, literally because he really is. But he happens to be a very good dictator. He's run the sport very, very, very well. And compared to boxing, which is really run by promoters... Um, We're getting the fights that we want to see. We're getting a good product. Um, So he's doing a good job. He's a good dictator. He has been exceptionally specific and clear about what's going on with the supposed retirement. I believe him. And the fact that Conor McGregor, the last I checked, hasn't come out and said anything to refute anything that's going on yet I have no choice really than just to take Dana White at his word. There is a little bit of bullshit in this, and I can dissect that. But let's go through Dana White talking about why, out of nowhere, Conor McGregor decided to retire.
6: Dana White is now joining me live in Las Vegas. Yesterday, you announced that Conor McGregor would be taken out of UFC 200 in July, rematch with Nate Diaz, which was going to be a massive fight.
4: Obviously, it was painful. What happened? Uh, so Connor basically had said that he he didn't want to come to Las Vegas. And we, we had a
0: And go, by going to Las Vegas, he's talking about there's a series of a, there was like at least a three city trip where Connor would have to go. He's training in Iceland now. and He'd have to go to Vegas, do some promotion, a couple other cities. And he just didn't want to do it.
4: Tour plan. We we're going to start in Vegas. We were going to uh, then uh, go to Stockton and then New York, and then he could go back to, uh, you know, to Iceland, where he, where he is right now. And he said, I, I, I'm, I, I don't want to do it. I'm not going to come. <clears throat> and I was basically saying, you have to come. And the history of us owning the UFC, there's been one time that a guy hasn't shown up for his press conference, and it was Nate Diaz versus GSP. And uh, I pulled Nate Diaz from the fight. It, you can't not show up to promote your fight. You can't do it. And uh-
0: I actually believe him uh this is a big fight they are spending a lot of money on advertising and if they were just to allow him not to come for all of the pre-fight advertisement stuff i mean what kind of precedent would that t- i mean th- there's already people you know who believe that the ufc gives conor too much leeway and you know there may be some there may be some there may be something behind that argument although he always you know delivers the goods uh, that doesn't seem fair so i understand him I understand I'm saying it's, you know, and he'll make an analogy later. It's like there's a huge movie coming out and Tom Cruise doesn't want to promote it. Well, no, I, I don't care who you are. That's not going to fly. It's part of the deal.
4: Uh, that That's where we ended up. And, and I think the best way to put it for, for for you know, for people to really understand, imagine, I, I think the guy's name is Terrence Howard. Wouldn't you say that that uh, Empire is probably the biggest show on Fox right yes, now? Yes, absolutely. You know, imagine if the guy, Terrence Howard, who is the main character in it, basically said, yeah, I'm not going to show up and I'm not going to be in the commercial, am not going to show up to shoot it, and I'm not going to do any of the press to, to launch the show or anything like that. I mean, just, you can't do it. Dana, not you're, how it works. Your, your
6: job, Dana, is to create stars. Your sport is more popular with stars. Ronda Rousey, then Holly Holm, then Connor McGregor. Are you concerned that in that
4: effort to create stars, you're creating divas? <laughs> well, what you have to understand is I deal with 600 alpha male and females every day. And they all have different personalities and there's always different, uh, you know, situations that, that, that need to be handled. But and, and we do the best we can. You can't make everybody happy, but the one thing nobody is exempt from is, is promoting their fights. Uh, you know, you said it yesterday. We were talking Muhammad Ali promoted his fights. Sugar Ray Leonard promoted his fights. You name the person. They pro- Mike Tyson, um, who at the time, you know, if you think about Mike and how he was when he was the champ, if you go online, you'll see these things with Mike Tyson. Hey, he's basically in, in a room for an hour. Watch my fight tomorrow live on Comcast. Watch my fight tomorrow live on Cox Cable. And, and I mean, everybody promotes their fight. You have to do it.
6: Is your relationship with Connor McGregor now so damaged that he may never fight again? Do you, are you concerned about that?:
4: No, I, it, I, Our relationship isn't damaged at all. Listen, if Connor doesn't want to show I can tell you this, Connor was making a lot of money for this fight, and um, all he, and, and understand this too. It's not like I'm asking Connor to come out here and do something none of the other fighters are doing. All the other fighters are showing up and doing it. Um, and it's not like this is three weeks before his fight. His fight isn't for three months. Um, so Connor, at the end of the day, for whatever reason, you know, he freaked out about this. Uh, he's a very reasonable guy. He's a smart guy. And he likes money. <laughs> so this is weird. Was, he, was the money
6: the primary issue? There was a $10 million figure out there. Regardless of that, what was, it was a promotional
4: issue. You're telling me it's not a money issue not a money issue okay. that's that's false you know the pro- that's the problem with the internet you have all these hacks out there that just make stuff up for clicks never ever was this about money it was never about money connor makes a lot of money and connor's very happy with the money he makes and connor connor for the most part is a stand-up guy he's never come back after agreeing uh on a deal and then the fight's announced and he comes back for more money connor connor's not that type of person do you think he's retiring dana I do not. Do you believe he'll fight again
6: for you in the next year? I do. <laughs> Will he retain his belt or be stripped? You heard that little laugh
0: when he said, "Do you think Connor's going to fight for you?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah." That laugh was Dana White saying Connor fucked up, and now I got him on the bo- him by the balls, and I'll explain why in a minute.
4: Well, that's the thing. The thing is, Connor needs to clear up. This whole retirement thing and clear it up fast because if he's retired, then at UFC 200, Jose Aldo and uh, Frankie Edgar are fighting for the vacant title then.
0: This is key. And this is why what McGregor did was just such a massive fuck up of epic proportions. Dana White's got all the cards. First of all, nobody believes that Connor was gonna retire. So he's starting from just such a position of weakness where nobody seriously believes that this guy, who is basically at the top of his game, granted, he lost a fight he shouldn't have taken, but he's still in in, in, in physical in, in physical condition and fighting ability, he can he can destroy the division that he currently holds the belt over, right? If he wanted just to do that. If he felt bad about taking this fight, like they could have worked something out where he can go back into. Now he's in a position. He's like, okay, well, I'm done. Forget it. I'm, I'm retiring. Oh, really? You're retiring? Well, it's one thing that you're not going to be fighting in 200, which they took him off of because you don't want to do advertising and you don't want to do promotion. But guess what? By your own words, we have to take you at your own word that you said you're retiring. You no longer have the belt and they're right to do so. What are they going to do? Wait indefinitely for him to ch- No. I think he's got a deadline. I think his deadline is this week. I think by Friday, he McGregor has to do something or else why wouldn't the UFC take the opportunity? They got this they got this event. 200 is going to be a big event. He's not going to be a part of it. That's not good for the UFC. They got to sell tickets. Why wouldn't they put up a title fight that they could do now? What they're going to it's already kind of absurd that it's been months and months and months since he won that title. He hasn't defended it yet. His first fight, he didn't defend it. This fight, you know, and they let him go try to go after another belt. Okay, that didn't work out, but they, they put up a big fight. Okay, he lost. Now they're letting him do a rematch, which is retarded. It's a guy he shouldn't be fighting. It's just not the right weight. I mean, they're both, you know, he's a good fighter, but he's just not a good fighter at 170. Well, he's he's good. He's not good enough. And now the UFC has this huge thing to hold over his head, this belt. They can hold over his head and say, all right, well, you got to take back what you said or else your belt's gone. McGregor has no leverage whatsoever. What a huge, colossal fuck-up.
6: When you look at this, UFC is a wildly, quickly growing business. And uh, because of the disciplines, fighters get hurt. You can kick. You can, I mean, it's this is very, very combative. Um, are you concerned for your business that before this fight that was going to sell a lot of pay-per-views, you had to pull out a start? Does it hurt your business? Is, it, is it, Are you mad personally and operationally? I swear to God, I'm 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 not mad.
0: He's actually telling the truth. He's not mad because now this guy who was basically writing his own checks, doing whatever he wanted. They didn't have a lot of control over him. And thanks to this one stupid tweet, the power dynamic has has just shifted. So he's telling the truth. Dana White's not, not upset. He's going to take a little bit of a hit on sales for 200. But in the long term, he's got this loose cannon by the balls.
4: Even a little bit. I mean, you were with me yesterday... Most of the day, Um, did I see him mad? Did I see him upset? No, I I had a pretty smooth day yesterday. It's UFC 200. It's a massive fight. I have 600 people on the roster that all want to fight on this card. Believe me, when Conor went out, 10 other people called asking to go in. Um, Plenty of people want to fight on this card. It's going to be a massive event. It's still a big fight. And, uh, you know, no, I'm not mad at all. When will you talk to Conor McGregor next? i don't know i don't know we'll see how this thing plays out but i'm not mad at connor um you know obviously connor made a decision and made a choice to 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 not want to fight on this card and you know that's how he gets paid so that's on him man it's not on me the show will roll on we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna continue to uh is
6: there any chance dana he could fight what if he called you after this interview any chance he could be on the card
4: Yeah, if you called me after this interview, we'd probably still do it. (laughs) The the problem is this: the whole problem with this Mm -hmm. whole thing is, you have to be here to promote your fight, and you 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 have to shoot this commercial. You know, we're spending we're spending like ten million dollars in five million dollars promotion for UFC 200, and all that money is in motion. All that money is in motion. That's true. You just you can't do this. I don't care who you are, you know, or how big you are. I can't
6: do this. I ask um, your fans. First of all, fans don't like referees, and they don't like commissioners. They don't like presidents. They like athletes. And they're all all defending Conor.
0: Oh, Dana White. No, they're not. They're really not. I don't know what he's looking at, but fans fans are calling out McGregor on this. This is bullshit.
6: Yeah, they're saying, Dana. Dana's ego. Dana's this. Oh, he can't handle it. Yeah. when you decided to pull him, take me to the phone call. Did it get combative? Were you arguing when you had to tell him I'm pulling you? Can you take me to that 30-second phone call?
4: No, it never it never got combative and I, and I was talking to his manager. Um and uh What his manager say? They were asking, "Let's let's move all this stuff. <laughs> let's move it to May." You can't move it. This this stuff is in motion and and you know, and You know, obviously fans, all fans care about are the fights, which that's all they should care about. You know, they don't have to care about me or how the business gets done or how whatever. But any fan of the UFC knows that it's only happened one time before Nick Diaz and I pulled Nick Diaz from that fight. You know, everybody likes to talk about how I coddle Conor and I baby Conor and Conor can do whatever he wants and and all this stuff. Um, No, no, you can't. Believe me, we do. We do give Conor a lot of leeway because Conor delivers. Conor Connor delivers. And, uh, you know, but he, he wasn't planning on delivering this weekend and I had to pull him. It's, it's, it's what had to be done. There is
0: remarkably little bullshit in that because I, I really think he's telling the truth about all this and the fact that McGregor's been silent since, you know, silence is damning. Here's one thing, you know, I've listened to a lot of interviews. That was the best one that I heard, but the in all these interviews and all these articles that are written, here's the one thing that I haven't been hearing from anyone that I think is extremely important and it's going to it's going to hurt McGregor going down the line and rightly so. And here's what it is. If you look at all of these all the past, you know, 6-8 fights that McGregor's had, you know, leading up to his belt and all the If you look at those crowds, you see thousands and thousands of Irish flags being held up proudly. And you know what? A lot of those people holding up those Irish flags, they flew to America from Ireland to see that. Yeah, some of them are Irish Americans, but a lot of them, I think most of them are people who literally are flying from Ireland to support this guy, literally the entire country. This is their big, the biggest Irish athlete ever, any sport. The whole country is behind him. I'll tell you what, those same Irish fans that flew from Cork and Dublin to the States for his last half a dozen fights, they already bought their tickets for 200. They already bought their plane tickets. They already bought their hotel rooms. And for a lot of these people to drop $7,000 between airfare, hotel, spending money, what they're going to lose in the pits in Vegas, all that stuff, a lot of these people are working-class people. This is a huge thing that they're saving up for. And Conor McGregor just took a huge shit on them they would never buy a ticket they're not going they're not buying tickets to 196 cuz he's not fighting there they already knew that they're only buying tickets to the fights that he is in and how much time did he think about that before he did this not for a second he shit on his fan base what are they going to do now they don't know what to do. Right now, chances look pretty bad that he's actually going to show up for 200. I mean, all the, all things given all the evidence that's out there, I'd put it at far under 20%. What the hell are they going to do? Okay, the hotel and the airfare, maybe they can get a refund. I don't know, maybe they maybe they bought the the cheapest non-refundable ticket to save some money. The fight card, the, the 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 ticket to the for the fight itself, yeah, they can sell that. But now that McGregor's not going, they might not be able to get their money back fully on that. And what do you think is going to happen moving moving forward when it comes out that you know what what Dana White said is the truth? McGregor pulled a diva mode. He just didn't. Unless he's just giving this the one or two things, either. Connor thinks he was above doing the promotion. He was just divaing out of it or thinking that he could. Okay, that sucks. Or two, that he genuinely just wanted to find a way out of the fight. I mean, you know, situation one, if he comes back on his hands and knees and sucks Dana, sucks Dana White's dick, yeah, he can still end up in 200. Whether or not he can swallow that, whether or not his ego can swallow that, Mm, that's less than 50 50. But the other option that he just wanted a way out and then he would never really had any intention for whatever reason to go to UFC 200, what do you think is going to happen? Because I can tell you what's happened to me as a Conor McGregor fan. I was a big fan of his, even after he lost. He lost that fight. He, he listen, he took a big chance taking that DS fight. I don't know if he, I don't know how much he knew it was a big chance, but I respected the fact that he took that chance of going up to two-plus weight classes to fight this guy. I respected that, and he lost with grace and humility. After that fight, I was a bigger fan of his than I was before. Now with this bullshit, I'm not a Conor McGregor fan anymore. Fuck him. And I didn't spend $7,000 to fly across an ocean and the lower 48. To go see him. What do you think just happened to his? What would have been considered to be an unshakable Irish fan base? It's just been decimated and rightly so. Because he just shit on these people who save up a significant amount of money that they make in a year to go support their man. How often do you think that's going to happen in the future? You look, Whenever it is that he fights next, you take a look at the crowd, look at the Irish flags, there's going to be a whole lot less of them, and rightly so. Fuck him, man. His only chance is to you know start sucking dick tonight, tomorrow night, and Friday morning, and maybe they'll let him back in. But yeah, he's got to do the promo tour.